630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Man, Raptors now pulling away from the Hornets, 87-67. With three and a half minutes left in the third quarter, we'll keep you updated on that one. In the National Hockey League, Capitals lead the Ducks 3-0 early in the third. Kings and Coyotes just getting underway. Monday night football, four minutes into the second quarter. Chargers up three zip on the Chiefs. Oilers road trip starts tomorrow. They flew to San Jose today. 7 o'clock face-off show game at 8.30. They were uh, whipped 6-3 last Tuesday by the Sharks, so they'll uh, try to redeem themselves tomorrow night. They are 0-5-1 in their last six games against San Jose. Hasn't gone very well against that team. San Jose didn't start well. They're coming on. Dallas didn't start well. They're coming on. Uh, Obviously, a win over the Oilers on uh, Saturday to go to 10-1-1 in their last 12. It's been tough uh, for the Calgary Flames. They were beaten pretty bad yesterday by Vegas. They're 500 on the season. The Maple Leafs not doing well, so a lot of storylines to follow here. As we move towards American Thanksgiving, remember, generally, if you are... uh, depending on the year, but it's usually 12 or 13 of the teams that are in a playoff position on American Thanksgiving wind up making the playoffs. So we'll see if the uh, the Oilers can hang on to that spot once we get there. Well, you'll hear a little bit from head coach Dave Tippett as we move along tonight. Just want to wrap up some of your thoughts here on uh, the Eskimo season on the uh, coaching situation. Uh, Cal says, any chance Rick Campbell would be an assistant coach for Jason Moss? I would say I doubt it. I think Rick Campbell... Wants to be a head coach. He's obviously uh, already talked to the BC Lions about their job. We'll see if there is a job here to uh, talk to. And you can text 780-496-0063. Remember, that is now the text line as well as the phone line. This texter says, anytime a coach publicly says during a presser that an upcoming game is a throwaway game or routinely has temper tantrums on the field, he has to go. His attitude and poor discipline on the field was often reflected in the on-field effort and behavior of the team. Cowtown Bob checking in. He says, I would like to ask Jason Moss why we never see any razzle-dazzle or any unexpected plays like fake kicks on special teams. Well, I, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I will say this, Cowtown Bob, it, it's, it's a fine line with some of those plays, at, at least I think. When an offense is, is sputtering or not getting anything done, it's easy to say, we'll call a trick play or, or go deep into the playbook. But if that play fails, it's, here's the thing, when trick plays fail, they, they often wind up in a disaster. You, you, you lose yardage, you give up a touchdown the other way. So they're a very sink-or-swim type play. So there is a huge risk-reward calling them. But I think fair comment about fake kicks. You know, when Chris Jones was here, he, he, sometimes he would do something crazy on special teams. Well, not crazy, but unexpected. Hey, when the Eskimos won the Grey Cup in 2015, they faked a punt in that game. Direct snap to Calvin McCarty. He plowed ahead. I think they only needed two or three yards. He got it. Drive continued. Uh, it, it's something you have to do often enough 
just to make other teams think about it. And that's what I would say about the Eskimos' offense. It maybe necessarily wasn't uh, a flat-out trick play like the one they ran against Saskatchewan where uh, was it Tavares Daniels threw the ball to Devon Smith. But I think you have to have little wrinkles in your offense that make other teams think. And to me, Winnipeg is a great example. Not just that they use Strevler, because I was at the point watching the West Final yesterday where I was thinking to myself, just just let Kalaros win or lose the game. You don't need to keep putting Strevler in. Kalaros is your guy. But Winnipeg often has a player, a receiver, running behind the formation, you know, a receiver going across the formation, either behind of or in front of the quarterback where the ball is snapped. They'll fake an end around. They'll run an end around or a fly sweep or whatever it's called now. And the Eskimos never really did that until later in the season. There, was, there were a couple of plays where they had motion behind the quarterback where they, they ran the little shovel pass to Daniels in Regina. But there was a, to me, there was a lot of, here's our offense, here is what we believe is going to work, and if we execute it, it'll work. And I get that to an extent. You have to trust your players. You have to have a game plan. You practice it all week. But was there enough adjustment by the Eskimos? You know, was the play caller, and that's Jason, was he a little too stubborn? Personally, I think yes. Some of you might not agree. Brock Sunderland may not agree. Players may not agree, for all I know. But it's not just necessarily about wacky, razzle-dazzle plays. It's about every once in a while saying, getting the defense to say they might hand it to that receiver. So it's probably going to Gable up the middle, but they might hand it to that receiver. So we got to wait a split second just to be sure. And that split second can make all the difference in the play. What about that play Hamilton ran yesterday? I think it was on the fourth quarter on the drive that ultimately really, really sealed it. Did they not have a fake handoff, a fake end around, and then a pass to the other side? I mean, two quick fake handoffs and then a pass. And and you've run other plays all afternoon long to, to set that up, right? So I think a play like that, you either do it early in a game and then you got the defense thinking about the entire game or you establish some tendencies and then you blow those tendencies to shreds late in the game and run something really unexpected and it gets you key yards at a big time of the game. For me, the Eskimos did not do enough of that. Now, you can go back to Chris Jones and, and McAdoo. That wasn't always the most uh, dynamic offense, but... Chris Jones threw deep just enough. They they preached ball control, all those types of things. Really good text coming in. That, to me, that's a, that's a really interesting discussion about offensive play calling in football. And, and really, there aren't that many trick plays over the course of a season. But can you do it just enough if it's second and eight at the 50 for the defensive coordinator to think, oh, wait a minute, three weeks ago, second and eight on the 50, they ran a reverse and got 12 yards. So then he's got to signal that down, and then the d- defense is thinking, oh, this is the play. What are they going to do? And then you might run just a vanilla play, but you got the defense thinking about something. I think defenses generally had a pretty good sense of what the Eskimos' tendency, tendencies were, and they, and they didn't break them that often. Uh, Mike says, uh, Blake Dermott can speak to what Jason has accomplished, injuries, player changes, etc., but the head-scratching play calls from the sideline continued. He is too stubborn and volatile. I believe Jason has to go. That is a text coming in from Mike. Mike, thanks for that. 
John writes in, is there anything more glorious than watching Ryder fans in pure misery and agony after such a heartbreaking loss? Is there anything more glorious? Well, probably. There's probably something more glorious, but I I, I understand that that's high on your list, John. (laughs) Oh, John does uh, not like the Rough Riders. It's a top five for me. Uh, Mark writes in, he says, I have no love for Jason, no hate for Jason. Considering his success as a quarterback, I don't think he translated into being a good coach. That being said, they didn't lose that game because of coaching. Well, that's true. They, they, uh, they did not lose yesterday's game because of coaching. They, they were beaten by a better team. And in my mind, they, they probably did about as well as they could. And, I, and I, look, I don't mean to have like a wave the white flag or a loser mentality about it. I just think you had to favor the Hamilton Tiger Cats if both teams played to their maximum potential and and the better team ultimately won. I mean, the the Eskimos hung around. They had some opportunities, but we're sitting here with a lot of what-ifs, a lot of what-ifs. Hamilton made more plays. Hamilton's better. Hamilton should be favored to win on Sunday. Uh, John says, I would like, uh, I would take just a little bit of misdirection on offense once in a while. Their play calling disguises nothing. And if I can see what's coming as a fan, imagine how easy it is for professionals to see it. John, that's a, that's a fair summary. And, and I think those of us who watched the Eskimos a lot all season long, we kind of knew what they were going to do. And yes, you have to have things you do well and commit to them. Um, but was was it a little too much? What was it a little too much from the Eskimos? Here and here's another thing that I wondered about too. The Eskimos they would they would run those quick passes, you know, whatever the bubble screens. Some of you just call them sideways sideways passes. We've called them that on the show for a few years. Quarterback gets the snap, turns and throws it straight sideways, and the receiver tries to run. Hamilton runs a lot of those plays, guys. But you know what? They run they they run them really quick. They have faster receivers and they block better. There was a play yesterday. I think it was Ricky Collins Jr. caught the pass. Ellingson runs up to his DB and negates him. Well, Collins DB is still unblocked, so he just runs up and makes the tackle. If you got to call, if you're going to call that play, you have to have it blocked up almost perfectly to to get five to ten yards out of it, which is decent production if you're calling it on first down. Uh, Mark says it is more glorious watching the flames implode than watching the Riders fans in misery and agony. All right. Didn't realize we would get into uh, which... (laughs) Didn't realize we'd be debating which fan base do you want to see suffer more. Appreciate your thoughts on the Eskimos. Uh, Obviously, we'll continue to be a storyline. We will have an Eskimos coaches show on Wednesday this week. And Jason Moss is scheduled to join Dave Campbell for that one. We'll have plenty to tee up Sunday's Grey Cup. We will turn our focus to the Edmonton Oilers. They're heading to San Jose. Adam Larson is healthy, pretty healthy. All that when we get back. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Oilers 
Sharks tomorrow. The Oilers could not hold the lead against Dallas on Saturday, up 4-2 after two, lost 5-4 in overtime. The Oilers have had some pretty good third periods this year, a couple of late comebacks themselves. They got the late-tying goal in New Jersey, won that one in a shootout, late-tying goal against uh, Washington, won that one in overtime. We've seen some drama on uh, Saturday. Vancouver tied it against Colorado. The Avalanche won in overtime. The Flames had the big four-goal comeback against Nashville. There have been some wild finishes. Goals per game this year is the highest it's been in a long time. Teams are averaging, so an individual team, averaging 3.09 goals per game. So that's over six goals per game, 3.09 per team per game. Last year it was 3.01. The only other time since 1995-96 it's been above three was in 05-06. Coming out of the lockout, the the goals were at 3.08. This is the highest that uh, there's the most scoring there's been since 95-96. That year finished with uh, a team averaging 3.14 goals per game. So we're at 3.09 so far this season. And like I mentioned, a lot of comebacks late in games. I asked Dave Tippett about that today. More goals, more comebacks. How do you manage those late game situations? The rules have affected that a ton. You know, I remember when I first started in Dallas, you get a one-goal lead the third period you can just lock it down and you get in front of the net you just grab a guy's stick and hold on to it for a while and or I, I, mean, I was in I was in that meeting I think it was called the Shanahan Shanaheim summit or whatever way back when the rules really you know we were looking at changing all the rules I remember we watched one period of a I think it was Tampa, Calgary. It was the final the year before. We watched one period, and from the rules we were kind of talking about, you know, and, and how they were going to be called, in one period, there was somewhere between, it would have been 30 or 40 minors, right? I'm just holding guys in front of the net or locking on to guys or, or grabbing a guy, you know. First defenseman goes in the corner, you just hold the guy till the next guy gets there and you get the puck. I mean, it, it was incredible, the things that, I remember Marty St. Louis was in the in those meetings, and he was saying, "You mean I can go in a corner and a guy can't put a stick on me? He can't hold me?" And Marty walked over there and said, "I'll play another five years or something." You know, you know. So it, the rules have changed a little bit, and you see that at the ends of games, like you you can't take penalties, but you can't get you can't lock it down like you used to. You can be in position, and you can be around it, but. You know, your wingspan is probably four feet as when it used to be about eight feet because you had your stick you could always use. So it's made for the game more exciting. Yeah, interesting stuff there from Dave Tippett. And uh, I think it's a testament to that when a league makes a change, it can take several years, maybe a couple of generations of players until you really get the payoff. And I think we're starting to see that payoff over the last couple of seasons. You've you've raised players where the rules have trickled down from the NHL to junior and all that kind of stuff. And, and there's less obstruction. Skilled players can really wheel. You have some incredibly fast players, McDavid, McKinnon, who uh, also have a lot of skill. And 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 now you see what, what can happen. And, and, I, and I know we still will watch games and think, well, there's too much interference, there's too much slashing. Fair point, worthwhile discussion, but there's no doubt there's less than there used to be. I also threw in there today about Tippett, is goaltending equipment 
uh, you know, another reason why there are more goals. And he said, well, I don't, he said, I don't think I don't agree with that. He said, I still think they haven't gone far enough on, uh, on goaltender equipment. But there are more goals this year. There are more comebacks. And what I enjoy, whether it's an Oilers game or not, a two-goal lead last 10 minutes of the third period, there, there's still reason to watch. Whereas, like Tip said, 15 to 20 years ago, it was a lot easier to lock it down. You hold, you hook, and it's not going to get called. Michael's on line one. Go ahead, Michael. Hey, Reed, how's it going? Quite well. I just wondered, did anybody, like, uh, switching topics back to football, but did anybody make any uh, comments about the goalpost coming into play with uh, in the Saskatchewan game, that last pass, hit the uprights? Uh, not on air, but I, I, I've seen it discussed on uh, on social media, and somebody in the office mentioned to me, it's like, do you think they should be on the end line? Yeah, like, uh, like it's to me, I don't understand the purpose of having it in the field of play. Like, nowadays, like, there's so much, like, especially at work, on the workplace and stuff, like, um, safety, like, obstacles. Like, we had a light pole at work in the middle of the parking lot. Somebody ran into it. It was a safe, deemed a safety hazard, so we moved it. Okay. Like, the CFL, like, it's right in the middle. Like, a guy running a rope could run headfirst into it and get hurt. Like, is that what's going to have to take? to move it to the back, like to take it for a safety issue and just to make make the game more uh, uh, fair, not fair, but uh, they're both playing with the same goalpost, but just to take it out of take it out of the equation when, yeah. when Aaron chuck of the ball hits that post, maybe that guy would have caught it. Well, Michael, I'll tell you this, it, it would change the game quite a bit because you'd see a lot fewer field goal attempts, right? Because you might just go for it. Like, if you're third and five from the 35, you might as well just go for it. What's the point of punting? And I, I will say this. I think the CFL likes missed field goal returns, and there probably wouldn't be any if you move the goalpost to the back because a wide kick would automatically be a dead ball, unless it was short. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I hope no. And, and players do run into them. You do see guys run into it each year. I don't think there's ever been a serious injury. But uh, it, it would change the strategy of the game as well, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, so anyways, if it comes down to a vote, put my name down for moving it to the back of the end zone. When I'm Commissioner Michael, I will consult you. Is that fair? <laughs> okay. Thanks, welcome for, you got my vote there, too. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. That is Michael. Uh, yeah, nobody uh, brought that up uh, on air. Obviously, they, I mean, the NFL has a smaller end zone. Their goalpost used to be on the goal line like uh, Canada's is. They eventually moved them to the back. That would change the game a lot, not just from safety, but as I pointed out, you might see more teams just going for it on third down. Maybe you'd see more drives resulting in touchdowns. Who knows? Lori Eisler, 800 wins at the U of A. She's in the next half hour. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Capitals leading the Ducks 4-1 late in the third period. Arizona already up 2-0 on Los Angeles. Four minutes left in the first period there. Those are the only two games in the NHL tonight. Raptors taking it to Charlotte, leading 92-74. Or pardon me, uh, that's the wrong score. Uh, Raptors up 114-81. 114-81. 
with uh, six and a half minutes left. So all Toronto in that one. And Monday Night Football, Kansas City leading the Chargers 10-6 late in the first half. Oilers, Sharks tomorrow on 6.30, Chad. 7 o'clock face-off show. Game coming up at 8.30. We're sending Morley Scott down to Calgary. If you see him on the side of the road with his thumb up, drive him at least part of the way, Morley's going to Calgary for the Grey Cup. No, Morley's not actually hitchhiking. I was going to say, give him to at least Pinocchio, and I think he can probably find his way to Calgary from there. That's still a long way. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, that'll be good. So Morley will check in. He'll be uh, sending in uh, interviews. We'll have some other uh, Grey Cup-related special guests on the show throughout the week. Always uh, always a fun week to talk about our country's legendary game. 6.30, Chet Santa's Anonymous. I- I've had some people ask me earlier this month, when and where can I drop off? Now, if you like, you can bring stuff to the station here on Roper Road. What we're looking for uh, is a uh, is a new toy. And you can also look for the donation boxes in major shopping centers, Superstore, Costco, Ikea, Toys R Us, Canadian Tire. A new unwrapped toy. You'll see the donation mark, uh, the donation boxes. They're always very clearly marked. And uh, santasanonymous.ca for 630Chet, Santa's Anonymous. Thousands of you help out every year. Donations, delivery day, financial donations. We really appreciate it. We're so proud of it. So uh, thanks again in advance, or maybe you've already donated. Really appreciate it. 780-496-0063 is the phone number and the text line. If you're texting 630-630, your texts are disappearing in cyberspace. The, you know who's getting those texts? The kid from War Games. Whoa. <laughs> you remember that movie? That's a dated reference. <laughs> Holy smokes. That's, that's the best I could come up with. <laughs> Would you like to play? I had to go. I had to, I had to get a reference fr- from the 80s. Uh, War Games. Who was the kid in War Games? Now i got to look it up on the fly. Does everybody know the movie I'm talking about? That was the one where wasn't it some teenage kid and he, he somehow hacked into the United States defense system and almost started a nuclear war. Was it Matthew Broderick as a kid? Must have been. Must have been. Yeah. Uh, what Broderick was the kid in that one? Yeah, Matthew Broderick oh, as David Lightman and Dabney Coleman was in. I forgot Broderick yep. starred in that. Ali Sheedy was in it. it yep. Wow, amazing. Yep. We gotta we gotta rent this and watch it. We should live tweet it someday, Kellen. Michael Madsen as well. Up. Yeah, it's, it's the cast is amazing. Uh, David Lightman, a bright but unmotivated Seattle high school student and hacker, uses his IMSAI eight eighty eighty computer. I don't know what that is to break that into one. the school's district computer system and change his grades. He does his same for his friend and classmate. And then he connects with a system that does not identify himself, and then yeah, I guess that's how he gets into the um, the, the the NORAD system. Yeah, that's totally feasible, everybody. I mean, your smartphone's <laughs> probably 19- got more computing power power than the computer in war games. 1983. So that I mean, the the internet existed. Computers could talk to each other for a long time. Oh yeah, we had the internet. So he was basically using the internet to get. Uh, 
almost start a nuclear war. Mm-hmm. We should we we should we should re rewatch it. Hey, there was a video game for the ColecoVision. There was it. a War Games video game. Yeah, that's dark, man. Released but, for the ColecoVision in 1983. Oh wow! All right. Well, we should try to find that as well. If like if anybody has the War Games video game, you're coming on this show. <laughs> that's that's pretty much a guarantee. You've earned yourself a guest booking. Ask ask Fan Glenny, who I love, he often texts in, has simply texted in two words, War Games. Yes. I wasn't struggling to remember the movie. I was struggling with the actor. I I, I didn't remember that was Broderick. Yeah, until I saw the article, I was like, wow, that is Matthew Broderick. He was born in 62, so he would have been 21 when that movie came out, playing a high school kid. Mm, That makes sense. And Bueller was after that, so there we go. Oh, yeah. What year was Bueller? Uh, 86. Six, yeah. Yeah, that's a classic for sure. Cloak and Dagger is another movie we should watch from the 80s with heroic kids. Wasn't Dabney Coleman in that one as well? I think he was. You can text 780-496-0063. We have Lori Eisler coming up in a few minutes. 800 wins now at the uh, U of A. Oilers getting ready to go tomorrow against San Jose. Adam Larson says 100% he'll play against the Kings on Thursday. Here's head coach Dave Tippett. Well, I think we have to recognize first he's been out a long time, so him coming back, it's not like he's going to jump into mid-season form, so it's going to take him a few games to get up and going. That being said, it's I've been around the game a long time. I've never seen anybody work as hard to get back, especially with a, coming off a broken bone so he's uh he's been pushing he's he'll play at some point here and he's anxious to play but he uh, today was really his first real action practice kind of in it he'll skate tomorrow morning we'll see where he's at and if he doesn't play tomorrow then we'll skate on wednesday and see where he's at thursday all right, and Tippett also asked about his level of satisfaction with his team through 22 games. Well, I like where we're sitting. I mean, obviously, we, one of our goals was get off to a good start, and we're a little over I mean, a quarter of a point through. Uh, there's some good parts about our game. You know, I think both our special teams are in the top five, which is good. It's probably jinxing them there. But, uh, you know, for the most part, there's it's like... Uh, Last game is a good example. Like, I like about 80% of the game, 85% of the game, and I like what we're doing. And then there's a 15 or 10% that we've got to clean up or we've got to get a little better. And you're never going to get to a perfect game, but that's why this trip is so important because this will test us on this. Because if you're, not, if you're not playing to your capabilities, you're probably not going to win games. So that's, uh, that's a good test where we want to continue to get better. We're, you know, we, I think we've come... We've, we've added some good stuff as a team, just how we play as a team. Obviously, uh, uh, top two guys have been been really good, but if you look at the rest of our game, our goals against is pretty good, our PK's been good, our goaltending's been good. Like, There's a lot of little factors that get um, are probably less heralded, but have actually gone all right for us. So we've got to continue to uh, continue to build on some of those little things and continue to build on our team game, because I think that's what's going to sustain us long term. Interesting from Tippett, liked 80 to 85% of the game against the Stars, but uh, they obviously couldn't keep it up in the third period, wound up settling for an overtime loss. A lot of good signs for the Oilers. Special teams have been excellent. Goaltending's been very good. Yes, the depth players aren't scoring, but most nights they've been checking and, and killing penalties. Tough test on the road trip. Five games 
You got a very good San Jose team tomorrow. Los Angeles not doing great. Hopefully you can jump on them on Thursday. Vegas still dangerous Saturday. Arizona doing quite well there Sunday. And then next Wednesday is Colorado. And you know the Avalanche are going to be irritated still about how bad the Oilers beat them last week. So that is the challenge coming up for the Oilers. This portion of Inside Sports presented by Furnace Family. Experience the Furnace Family difference. Your furnace replacement specialist with over 500 five-star Google reviews. Visit 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. How does 800 wins sound? We'll talk to the latest coach to achieve it. U of A Pandas volleyball coach Lori Eisler when we get back. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Canadian women's basketball team, 3-0 at the pre-Olympic qualifying tournament held at the Expo Centre over the last few days. Finished it off yesterday by beating the Dominican Republic 1-10-60. All 12 players scoring six players in double digits. So Canada advances to the next Olympic qualifier, the next stage of this process. That'll be in February. All right, pleased to welcome U of A Pandas volleyball coach Lori Eisler to the show 800 career wins coaching the U of A Pandas. Lori, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. It's great to have you on the show. Congratulations on getting to 800 and then 801 wins over the weekend. It's my experience with coaches. They don't like it to be about them. They like it to be about the players and the team as a whole. But uh, I, I guess you didn't have a choice this weekend, or how did you feel about everything? Well, I mean, it is a, a unique opportunity to really recognize all the people that have been involved uh, in the program over the years. There's been a, a lot of really great athletes, and I think I've been blessed with the best support staff over the years of anyone in the country, and not to mention the great support of an uh, athletic department and a faculty that has really made it all possible. How aware were your players of the upcoming milestone? Uh, I mean, did your uh, did your stat staff and your media relations staff let them know about it? Were they using it as any sort of chatter or motivation? No, I don't think so. I, I don't know that they were aware. I certainly didn't talk about it at all. And uh, as far as I know, it kind of came and went without uh, really their knowledge, which is fine. We're pretty focused on what we need to do day in and day out. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, I know almost a couple of years ago, uh, I guess over two years ago now, you, you passed Claire Drake, uh, his win total of 720. Terry Daniluk, who coached Golden Bears volleyball for a long time, is at 761 wins. I mean, do you ever sort of think like my name is up there, especially with Claire Drake, who's synonymous with, with U of A athletics. Do you ever have those pinch yourself moments that you're you know right up there with someone like Claire? Yeah, well, I would never put myself in that category of Claire Drake. I mean, he's just such an incredible inspiration, I think, to all of us here at U of A. And I was actually at the hockey game Saturday night, and I looked up and saw his portrait there. And it's, uh, you know, we, we miss him a lot, but he uh, really laid the foundation for all of us here to to just take a look at what coaching really is over a career and, and the impact he made on so many uh, men that went through that Golden Bears hockey program. So I have nothing but respect for Claire and, and so thankful to him for kind of showing the rest of us, um, you know, really what to value and that winning is is a part of it, but it's really 
about providing just a great experience for the athletes. Well, that, that, I'm glad you brought that up because it, sort of my, my next question was along those lines. There's a saying in sports that coaches are hired to be fired. Not quite the same mm-hmm. at, at the university level because, as you touched on, there's more to it than just winning every single season. Um, so in terms of the experience you hope your players have as a Panda volleyball player, besides, obviously, you, you love to win, but what do you hope when they leave the program they're able to feel, able to say about the program as they go on through their lives well we just want to give them an opportunity to develop as much as they can and you know whether it's for sure in volleyball I mean that's where we obviously spend most of our time is really developing in all the dimensions of being a great athlete and technically tactically psychologically physically and just seeing what you can do and at the same time being obviously very serious about studies and finding the balance and at the same time being, you know, a contributing member of our community, developing leadership skills, learning how to work well as a unit. We uh, we can't do anything unless we have a really great sense of team. And uh, I think some of those things are things that, you know, it's hard to learn those things outside of sport. I think it's possible, but I know we have a really awesome opportunity to develop some life skills in sport that and friendships and relationships that will live with them for the rest of their lives. 28 seasons for you at the U of A. That's incredible. Six national titles, uh, 11 conference titles. That's such a great run. And again, to reference what other coaches tell me sometimes, sometimes I have heard, I I loved it there, but it was just time for a change or I I needed to move on. I mean, you've never kind of had that that moment. So what's Mm -hmm. kept your fire going, not just for 28 years, but 28 years at the same school? I think our jobs never get boring. I mean, I think every year it gets more challenging to not only to be uh, competing on the floor, but really doing the things we need to do around our program to keep it viable and, and to sustain the excellence. So there's always challenges. I'm, I've you know taken advantage of some opportunities in the summers to be involved with national programs and other ways of just experiencing volleyball which kind of stokes my volleyball <laughs> volleyball nerd fire and uh, that's uh, that's been great and I also had a couple of kids while I've been here so I'm you know with raising a, a young family I'm married to a coach life never gets boring around our house and now with the kids being older it's actually a lot easier to balance life and and find a way that I really focus on career but also family. Lori Eisler joining us on Inside Sports tonight. She won her 800th match as Panda's volleyball coach over the weekend, then won another one to get to uh, 801. That's a, that's a couple of generations, at least, of, of players that you've been able to coach. I mean, uh, over, over 28 years. And I always hear, well, athletes have changed. Kids are different. Like, are kids different, or is it just the way we look at young adults differently uh, I, I'm curious because it's easy to just say ah you know these kids are, are softer or they're more entitled or they have phones now all that kind of stuff you're you're <laughs> dealing with them day to day I mean what 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 if anything is the biggest change in the young athletes that you've dealt with well it's definitely different there's no question of that I I'm they've they've led I'm I would say pretty privileged lives in order to be an athlete, uh, a high-performance athlete in this era. um, You have to have been very well supported for the most part. There's a few outliers that that make it through the system. Um, But so you could say that that's 
I a negative, but there's lots of positives in that as well. They're they're very well supported. They're pretty balanced. I and I think there's there's different challenges. The whole stress of social media and the exposure they're under. We can never do anything without being, you know, really under the microscope. And so they're constantly being evaluated and and watched. And I think that raises a, a whole other assortment of challenges. And um, you know, I think we just got to grow with them. We got to change with them and and understand that I, you know, it's not their fault that <laughs> society has changed and I don't want I don't want to go back in time. I think when I think back to how it was, you know, way back 100 years when I played, we we had different challenges, but man, it's it's a new time and I am really really fortunate to be able to work with the women of this era and and uh, excited to go to the gym every day. So, uh, 91-92, which oddly enough was uh, was my first uh, year going to the U of A as a student, so that's a nice little uh, correlation <laughs> there. Um, like, when you started coaching, did you set out to, to do, okay, like, this is my career, I'm going to do this a, a long time, were you kind of like, I'll do this and see where, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just curious, because, you know, you never know where that path is going to take you. I wonder where your initial goals as a coach were. Well, I came here on a two-year contract, and the program was on the shopping block. Uh, We were in real dire times financially, so I wasn't really sure, you know, where it would take us. Terry and I had just uh, gotten married, and he had a good job in Saskatoon, but he made the commitment to come here with me, and um, as the years went by, it just... uh, you know, I just love coaching, and, and I had the support around me to continue it, even though my family asked me all the time when I'm going to get a real job, <laughs> move on to something else. But at this point, I, you know, it's a very rewarding career. It's it's really challenging. I don't have a moment that I'm bored, and I, I really enjoy the challenge and uh, the adrenaline that goes along with it. Well, uh, congratulations again, Lori. It's always great to have you on the show and continued success uh, with the Pandas. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Reed. Lori Eisler, Pandas volleyball coach, first U of A coach to reach 800 career wins. She's now up to 801. Quick check of the scoreboard before we go. Capitals beat the Ducks 5-2. Coyotes lead the Kings 2-0 after the first. Raptors score 72 points in the second half to beat the Hornets 132-96. At halftime, Chiefs lead the Chargers 10-9. Inside sports, 6-7 tomorrow. Face-off show at 7. Oilers Sharks at 8.30. Have a great night. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.